This is the human side of healthcare, where we explore all aspects of today's ever-changing healthcare environment. Brought to you by the Dallas-Fort Worth Hospital Council and featuring CEO Stephen Love with co-host Thomas Miller. Now, let's make healthcare human again. And welcome to the human side of healthcare, Steve Love and Thomas Miller. And today, we're delighted. We always enjoy talking to guests from our hospitals. But we're going to talk to Ashley Kenny. She's the Family Services Director at Texas Scottish Rite Hospital for Children. And her background is in social work. She's professionally trained in it. So we're going to talk about some topics today that I think our listeners can really learn from, not only applying them to what she does at Texas Scottish Rite, but it can help each and every one of us in our everyday lives. Ashley, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm thrilled to be a part of this important segment. Thank you very much. You know, as you look at some of the work you do in social work and dealing with the children at Texas Scottish Rite, one of the terms that I heard was unconditional positive regard. Can you tell me and to our listeners, what does unconditional positive regard mean to you? That's a great question. And, you know, this is a belief that's so important to me. And it's something that was really foundational in my training. And I think I've carried it with me throughout my career, both in private practice previously and now in the hospital setting. The idea of unconditional positive regard is a concept actually born out of the field of psychology, specifically seated in the theoretical model formed by Carl Rogers, whose work really focused on human or client-centered care. So unconditional positive regard is this belief and an emotion that we should be able to promise to our patients that despite their situation and despite any challenges or their identity or their beliefs, their past or any other factors that we can and we will care for them with an attitude of respect and acceptance. Said another way, it means that I will celebrate alongside you as you want to be celebrated, and I will support you throughout the experiences in life that you may or may not have chosen, regardless of whether or not I myself have direct experience with your situation and whether or not I make the same life choices as you in life. You know, Ashley, this unconditional positive regard of how you respect people and how you have a positive attitude. Let's step aside from the clinical setting. How would you say this is good to just help people not only navigate healthcare, but navigate life? Oh, great question. I think the active clinical care is really just one aspect of healthcare, though, of course, a very important and the primary aspect. However, the topic of unconditional positive regard, respect, and acceptance should be trained and supported throughout every aspect of healthcare organizations and, to your point, any organization, uh, especially in, in our society and our communities right now. For example, at, at our hospital, we lead with our core values. It's something we're just so proud of. We talk about them all the time and our employees even rate this as our highest accomplishment and our employee satisfaction results that we lead with our core values. One of our core values is respect. 
And uh, we recently spent an eight-week period of time exploring with every single employee during these feedback sessions related to patient experience and, and discussing this this topic of respect. We broke down examples of how we can and how we should showcase respect in our work throughout our organization at Scottish Rite. We provide these trainings and resources to everyone from our IT department and our more back-end staff that don't necessarily have patient or family contact uh, to our clinical staff and our physicians, because when an organization breeds respect or unconditional positive regard, it needs to be present within every employee and in every aspect of hospital operations. And for the consumer outside of healthcare or the patient within healthcare, we really should strive for respect to be felt in every interaction, wherever they may be in the system, from when they're finding a parking spot to grabbing a, a meal in the cafeteria to the operating suite. And again, now more than ever, our society and our communities need to feel unquestionably welcomed, loved, and respected. And that is unconditional positive regard. Ashley, thank you for this conversation. It is excellent. With COVID, I think back to when my grandfather sold his business, and this was over 50 years ago. My grandmother said, I married you for better or for worse, but not for lunch. Go find yourself something to do. (laughs) That was a wise woman. And unfortunately, so many couples today are for better, for worse, and for lunch because we've been working from home. How can this apply right on into our living rooms and even to say in the bedroom where perhaps respect has been uh, maybe not the primary thing in this environment of living together 24-7? I like that that layered question because you're right. This is something that can transcend beyond organizations or companies This belief of unconditional positive regard is something that I think when we enter any relationship, whether it's a professional or a personal relationship, that we ought to be able to promise to each other. Unfortunately, I think that we have all been in a situation where we uh, forget that somehow and that perhaps the people that we're closest to get the worst of us. So we might be out in our work, we're out in the community putting our, you know, our best foot forward. But then when we get home, we forget that we have made a commitment to really to be respectful of each other and to give that unconditional positive regard to those that we love and that love us. So I think this time during COVID, when stress has been so high, when the unknowns are so great and when anxieties can be really at their maximum and our coping strategies are tested on a daily basis. This is an important topic, I would say, to start talking about. Um, Like I said, I'm in the career where I, I talk a lot. So that's always my first recommendation is bring this discussion to your your kitchen table. Talk about how are we doing taking care of each other? Do you feel like I'm bringing you enough respect? Or what are there other things that I can be doing to help you feel like I positively regard you and that I, I'm accepting of what you need from me so that I can be a part of this team in a, in a way that's meaningful and important, especially during such a hard time? 
And I think that conversation can be hard because each person in that conversation is struggling with the same thing. There are unknowns from both sides. As much as we wish one other person would have an answer to what's next, neither of us do. So to be able to say, what do you need when I also need you to ask me, what do I need? That is the reason why we have the topic of unconditional positive regard, to open up those lines of communication and try to feel connected and heard. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Ashley Kenny. She's the Director of Patient Experience at Texas Scottish Rite for Children here in the DFW area. And in the next segment, she's going to tell us a very personal story where the healthcare worker became the patient and experienced both sides of the coin of unconditional positive regard. And also, we're going to take the conversation straight into the practicality of dealing with COVID in public. That's next, right here on the human side of healthcare. This is the human side of healthcare on 1080 KRLD and the radio.com app, where we feature healthcare's hottest topics and what our North Texas area hospitals are doing to make healthcare human again. And welcome back. We're continuing our conversation with Ashley Kinney. She's Director of Patient Experience at Texas Scottish Rite for Children. Ashley teaches and has implemented a program there called Unconditional Positive Regard, which basically means mutual respect in any given situation. And that means not only in a professional healthcare setting, but also in our daily lives. Here again is Steve with Ashley Kinney. When you look at healthcare and healthcare specifically, why do you think it's so important and how do you apply it in healthcare, especially at Texas Scottish Rite? Sure. I would sum it up by saying unconditional positive regard in healthcare is the truest form of respect. And in healthcare, we serve to respect, and I would say, especially at Scottish Rite, I feel very strongly about that. We serve to respect and honor the humans we're gifted the opportunity to care for. If we can't promise respect or positive regard, we cannot and really should not be caring for the person that's standing before us. And as we know, in healthcare, we promise to do no harm. And if we think about respect or a lack thereof, we would cause harm if there's an absence of it. No one, not a single person, deserves to be vulnerable and looking for help from the healthcare system and be made to feel anything less than respected, which is also why I really love this series, The Human Side of Healthcare, because isn't that what we all are as humans? Absolutely. And Thomas and I have talked about this many times, the human side of healthcare. Some of the guests we have, some of the stories we have, Healthcare is human, and we have to remember things like what you just said, respect, which brings me to my next question. You know, in healthcare, we look at metrics, we look at measurements, we look at outcomes, and that's so important. We know that. But when you deal with unconditional positive regard, do you have any data or thoughts on how that's impacted outcomes? I do. And I I agree. I think that when we think about, you know, unconditional positive regard or some of these terminologies, we think, oh, that sounds really fluffy. But there's a deep-seated need for it based in how we are going to see our outcomes. So ultimately, without the respect and acceptance, which unconditional positive regard really promises, we can't claim positive outcomes in healthcare. 
And that's true both from those in healthcare that talk for a living like me (laughs) or for those that do surgeries and more of the physical care. We can deliver the most precise surgery or provide a very accurate diagnosis, but if the patient does not feel respected, they're unlikely to follow the guidance or necessary treatment our experts might be offering. I have a personal example of this actually, which at the time I wasn't able to process, but afterward had this kind of light bulb aha moment when I was thinking, oh, this is what unconditional positive regard is all about. At the beginning of this pandemic and the shutdowns, I had to go to the hospital. It was terrible timing, but it wasn't my own. I was having a baby. And after giving birth, I was in the recovery area and started feeling pain, like a lot of pain, like worse than the childbirth pain. And as it got worse, I thought, okay, I need to be a good patient. I'm going to call the nurse and explain how I'm feeling because something could be wrong. And she asked me some really great follow-up questions and ultimately decided she needed to contact the doctor. And they determined there was a problem. It turned out I was experiencing a life-threatening medical emergency from childbirth. Uh, The nurse told me what was happening and then the next steps. The information was very clinically important, but I felt like I wasn't being heard when I expressed my fear and my disappointment in not being able to discharge as quickly as I had hoped. Again, not being in my best mindset, I remember just feeling like I was shutting down. And despite the team telling me all the important information, all I was worried about was that I was going to have to stay in the hospital longer. I was going to be away from my family for longer. And on top of that, I was really worried about myself or my family being exposed to COVID. And I thought I was expressing this, but also felt like none of those concerns were really being taken into consideration. I even remember thinking at one point, you know, I'm just going to go AMA and hope that my body takes care of itself because I want out of here. And it really wasn't logical. And I I clearly wasn't at my best, but at least I quickly arrived at the conclusion that going AMA would be a really bad idea. So I stayed put. But I remember crying as they wheeled me back from recovery into the stepped up level of care unit. And once I was situated on the unit, the first member of the new care team came to greet me. And I'll, I'll never forget this particular nurse. She went out of her way first to sit at my eye level. She said something along the lines of, I know you're scared. I know this isn't what you want. And I know you had another plan. I'm sorry your plans aren't working out the way you wanted. Can we make some new plans together? And that, I remember, was the first time in the middle of all that chaos that I felt a weight lift and was willing to enter the agreement to let someone else lead my care and let go of the control I was so desperately seeking when I felt like I wasn't being heard or seen. And then on top of her words, she offered action. She asked me if I wanted a bed bath and I teared up again. There was a lot of crying throughout this whole situation, but this time it was tears of relief. And she just could empathize that I was feeling badly and clearly thought through what she could offer or do to make me feel supported. She saw me as vulnerable and really let us both sit in that vulnerability to make me feel comforted and cared for. So to me, 
that was an example of unconditional positive regard. I was absolutely being a difficult patient in retrospect. I wasn't wanting to hear the important medical care they were telling me I needed, and they were right, I needed it. But because I hadn't felt respected or heard, I wasn't being safe. But then when I did, and I immediately started feeling more hopeful and logical, and I know that affected my outcome, I stayed for the care, I'm, I'm alive, and I actually listened to the instructions they needed me to follow to get better. And I know that that's just one anecdotal example of when unconditional positive regard leads to great outcomes, but I think it really does showcase how important all those different verbals and nonverbals really impacted the care and the outcome, for me at least. It may be anecdotal, but what a powerful message. And you know, really connected when you said the unconditional positive regard that nurse had for you. On a side note, I know Ashley personally, and there's no way for our listeners, AMA means against medical advice. I can't see her leaving against medical advice. So this must have been some (laughs) tremendous unconditional positive regard. You know, Ashley, as, as we look at social service, and if we look at the good work you do every day, Many of the people in healthcare often say, I had a calling to go to healthcare. I had that servant attitude. Is this skill that you possess dealing with positive regard, is it inherent in your personality? Is it learned? How how do people really know how they have that in their souls, so to speak? You know, it can be both. Healthcare is such a special place with special people that do really special work. No doubt there are definitely natural personality types that easily tap into empathy and have naturally high emotional intelligence. But if someone isn't naturally attuned to the skill set of, say, active listening or hasn't explored their own biases or in psychological terms, their own countertransference. There's certainly important training and work to be done. And even for those in healthcare that may have a more natural ability to showcase empathy, this tenant of unconditional positive regard is so important that it can and it should be explored and re-explored throughout one's career whenever the opportunity arises. You know, uh, Ashley, when we think in terms of unconditional positive regard, and you look at COVID-19, if you were going to give individuals advice on how they could show unconditional positive regard for their neighbors, what would you say? You know, I know this is a hot button topic, and um, I would say the most important thing you can do right now to physically show unconditional positive regard and to really do unconditional positive regard is to wear your masks. I know that there's so much information out there and we're constantly watching the news and we're seeing how scary our situation is and how it's only becoming scarier in this moment. But the idea that I can put on a mask to show you that I care about your health and if you wear a mask and it shows that you care about my health, we are absolutely showing that unconditional positive regard and respect. I don't know if you're sick. You don't know if I'm sick. 
through the chance that I am sick, I don't want you to get sick from me and vice versa. If you're thinking that you want to show me that you care about me and you respect me and my household and my extended family, then you will wear a mask and I will do the same for yours and your family. So the next question is, what do you do if you're wearing your mask and someone else isn't and they bark out a cough toward you? Ashley has some great thoughts on that on our podcast. Search up the human side of healthcare on your favorite podcast app. When we come back, we're going to meet Aaron Pendergast from Texas Health Resources and talk about navigating the healthcare system during COVID-19. That's next on the human side of healthcare. The DFW Hospital Council, along with our over 90 member hospitals in North Texas, are proud to bring you the human side of healthcare with Council President and CEO Stephen Love and co host Thomas Miller. And welcome to the human side of healthcare, Steve Love, along with Thomas Miller. You know, many times patients go to hospitals, patients go to see their physician, and sometimes they need a little guide to help navigate the healthcare system. We couldn't have a better guest than we've got today. We've got Erin Prendergast, who's Oncology Nurse Navigator at Texas Health Presbyterian Hospital in Dallas. Erin, welcome to the show. Thank you. You know, Erin, we're going to talk about COVID-19 a little bit later in your interview, but I know you do a lot of work in oncology. So let me ask you this. How does a nurse navigator serve as a guide during a patient's cancer journey? Well, that's a big question, and I have a big answer because I feel as though our role is one of the, the most important Um, The earliest we can access a patient and have a conversation with them, the better for the patient in terms of understanding what their concerns are, understanding what their diagnosis is, and truly getting to the bottom of what their needs may be. I explain to a patient the very first time I meet with them, um, and knowing that they have just been given something that's very unpleasant, you know, that phone call, quote unquote, where they find out that they have a cancer diagnosis can be pretty devastating. So what we do is we just have a conversation with patients and really want to understand what do they understand about their diagnosis? What did they hear? Uh, That's the very first question I ask is what do you know and what do you want to know? So our, our biggest role is education because a lot of them on that very first contact, they may not know what they need. And I tell them that it's okay if you don't have any answers for me today when I ask you if you need anything, because maybe three weeks from now you're going to. I give them my card. We talk about um, how to reach me, what my role is as part of the care team is concerned. And I give them a packet of information that I then tell them, once you go home, you look this over. We'll talk about some of the resources and information I've put in that packet when things settle down a bit. Uh, So one of the things that I teach um, with my patients is health and wellness um, as part of their treatment plans and also resilience because everyone needs to have that, especially during this pandemic. So what does that mean? Resilience, it's the process of adapting well when facing significant stress, adversity, trauma, and tragedy or threats. So being resilient is about looking at life's challenges from a different angle. 
so you can bounce back more easily and learn from stressful situations. That is fundamental oncology nursing right there. And as long as we can send that powerful message about resilience and empowering our patients to not give up, to have hope, to know we're here to help them, that's so important to help them get through something like this. And even more important in a pandemic. I can't imagine having a cancer diagnosis myself, let alone during a pandemic. So this is the message that we need to be sending. You know, you're really the go-to person for many of these people. Like you say, they don't know and they need your help. So what are some of the ways other than what you just mentioned that you help support those patients? What I think is one of our most important roles is we need to be good communicators. And in in the process of communication, nothing is ever one way, right? Like this interview where everything is give and a take, and it's that way for patients too, and they need to be heard. We have to be astute listeners. We have to be able to communicate back to them. I usually ask my patients when I explain something let's say about their breast cancer diagnosis, and we're talking about their treatment plan. I have them repeat back to me what they've heard from the doctor, what I've just said to them. I want to make sure that they understand. So communicating is paramount. Uh, Trust. They have to have trust in their care team. They have to have trust in who's taking care of them. So they're never afraid to ask questions. And if they are, I explain to them, that I'm also their advocate. I tell them that if they are not comfortable with some of the information, they can call me. We can dissect the information and I can help help them understand it better. And I also am a conduit back to the doctor and to the physician's offices so that if they are having difficulty making appointments, it can be little things that matter the most to patients. And I tell them that nothing is too big or too small for me to handle. You know, Erin, if If I contacted you and it's the first contact I had with you and I said, Erin, I've just been diagnosed with cancer, what would you tell me? I would tell you first that I'm sorry because I think patients need to understand that we as a healthcare team, even though we're here to provide care and, you know, automatically we're giving them information, we're sending them to appointments, we're telling them where to park, they need to know that we're humans too and that we care about them. And that's what I would want to hear someone tell me. I'm sorry that you're having to go through this. However, this is what I'm going to do for you. This is why I've worked at my hospital for 23 years. Have faith in us. We are going to take care of you. That starts a very good relationship because building trust with them is going to be very important moving down the road. So I would tell you that I would show that I'm empathetic I would ask you, how is your family? We know that cancer doesn't just affect you. We know that cancer affects your family. It affects, you know, your work environment. What can we do to help you navigate some of those issues as well? So we really want to establish trust as soon as we can. And I tell my patients, when I see that they come to their appointments with with support teams, when they have family members that want to be on, on phone calls, because as you know, right now we're limiting visitors. That can be a scary experience when we're asking patients to come to appointments by themselves. That's where a navigator can come in and help as well. 
So we kind of wear different hats for different circumstances, but the most important thing for me as an oncology navigator is I want to tell my patients, I'm here as not only your advocate, I'm going to collaborate for you and with you, but I'm also going to be a guardian angel for you. You know, you just mentioned something that triggered a thought about limited visitation. 120 days ago, COVID-19 entered the healthcare delivery system. How has that changed your mission and how has that changed how you navigate patients? I'm going to answer this in two different ways. One, I'm going to say that the mission at our hospital at Texas Health Presbyterian is to improve the health of the people in the communities we serve. This mission, mission has not changed just because of COVID. We are still going to improve the health of the people in the communities we've served. It's my opinion that our mission is even more important now. So it's almost like that mission was in a different font, and now I'm going to capitalize it. I'm, I'm going to underline it. It's more important now. There's a lot of uncertainty right now. And so we are, we're doing everything that we have always done, which is following guidelines, following standard protocols, but we have a heightened sense of awareness now where our leadership teams are keeping us updated daily on what we need to know as far as changes are concerned. And uh, we've had fabulous updates every day. I have, um, I come to work, I have doubts. I pray on my way to work each day that I have the right words, that I am doing the right things, but I'm not changing anything that I would ever do as a nurse because these are things we do regardless. We just have to be more mindful that we, that is, again, it's one of those things where we have to establish that trust with our patients that they know that even in a pandemic, they're going to get the best care possible. You know, speaking of the pandemic and COVID-19, I know in the hospitals to follow certain guidelines, personal protective equipment that we refer to as PPE has to be worn in certain situations. How do you still connect with your patients given the PPE guidelines? Well, I, I'm going to answer that honestly. It's been very hard for me personally. Um, one thing that I know and that I've known as an oncology nurse for 13 years is that uh, patients need personal human touch. Some patients just by giving them a hug could make or break an appointment or give them the hope that they need to carry on. That it, we're not able to do. Uh, staying six feet distance, being mindful of safety, wearing masks, they don't see that encouraging smile that they may need. So I try to make up for that with my words and give them, uh, if they want to pray, I will pray with them. But I do, I acknowledge it. I put it out there immediately just so we both understand that it's an uncomfortable for me as well because I don't like to see patients with all you see is pure fear because you can only look at their eyes and you see they're frightened. So I acknowledge that. I tell them, you look afraid. How can we make you feel better? If I'm a hugger, I want to reach out and touch you and hug you and tell you it's going to be okay. I can't do that right now and here's why. Again, it's all about communication. Aaron, we just don't know how to thank you so much for being on a show where you really reflect 
the human side of healthcare. So on behalf of our listeners, thank you for sharing with us patient navigation and especially with cancer patients. It's been a real pleasure having you on the show. Thank you very much for the opportunity. Helping people navigate through the healthcare system is likely to be one of the bright spots in healthcare in the future and one of the positives coming from COVID 19. Aaron talks a lot more about this on our podcast, The Human Side of Healthcare. Just check your favorite podcast app. And speaking of COVID, Steve and I are going to unpack the local spikes coming up and talk about hospital capacity and what we should be doing in light of all of this. That's next on The Human Side of Healthcare. We're continuing our conversation on how you can empower yourself to have the best health possible in today's ever-changing healthcare environment. This is the human side of healthcare with DFW Hospital Council President and CEO Stephen Love and co-host Thomas Miller. And welcome back to the human side of healthcare. Man, Thomas, what a great show. How about those segments we had earlier? Well, I'll tell you, I love Ashley's perspective, and I kind of asked her several questions that are on the podcast. We didn't get a lot of her interview on here on KRLD, but it's on our podcast, just your favorite podcast player, Human Side of Healthcare. We talked about this relative to how do we show respect in this environment where there's so much tension, and wow, those were some great points that she brought up. Absolutely, and you know, Thomas, her story really resonated with me. As you know, I've been in healthcare 45 years, and you don't know the number of times I've talked to physicians, nurses, clinical professionals that just do outstanding work in our hospitals. But then when they become a patient, they get a whole different perspective. And they say, wow, you know, I never realized some of the things. It was so good to hear Ashley talk about her personal experience. And then you look at what Erin told us about how she helps people navigate through that. It was just compelling to me how you had two really great healthcare professionals really pouring out their hearts on what it really means to be a patient. Yes, and it's great when the healthcare team ends up on the other side of the table because it does help adjust that perspective. And boy, Erin Pendergrast's heart, she is a total servant. And that's what we're trying to capture here with this show is the essence of bringing that core human essence back into the healthcare system. Absolutely. You know, with Ashley talking about unconditional respect for people, and treating everyone with respect. And then Aaron, as you said, with her servant attitude. Wow, what a show. I mean, this that right there underscores the human side of healthcare. And so timely right now, especially as we're reading headlines every day about the world that you're living in with the virus starting to spring up again in Texas, of all places, being one of the hot zones. Yeah, you know, COVID-19 is uh, one of those things. And, you know, to our listeners, I, I certainly understand people fatigued. They're really fatigued. You know, they have to stay at home in many cases. They can't do a lot of the things they want to do. Uh, but all I can say is have patience. We're all in this together. We've got to work through it. But, you know, Thomas, we talk a lot about COVID-19 and hospital capacity. 
And I'll tell you something that bothers me a little bit. Hospitals are here to care for the community, and you know we are. And we do have the capacity. But that doesn't mean people can go out and just be carefree and go, oh, if I get the virus, the hospitals have capacity. No, 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 no. We really don't want to have to treat people with COVID-19. We want our community to be healthy. So the people need to take on the responsibility of physical distancing, wearing a mask, practicing good health habits, washing their hands. We've all got to do our part. We have to keep hammering this message because what I'm seeing and talking to friends around the country is not only here in Texas, but in many other places, people are just simply ignoring the protocols you just mentioned. Ignoring them. Yeah, they really are. And it's it's unfortunate. You know, and you know, anecdotally, I don't have all the statistics in front of me, but in talking to our healthcare professionals in our hospitals, the average age of people that are being uh, admitted to hospitals for COVID-19 continues to come down which means there are younger people becoming infected. Now, as you know, when you track some of the movement of the young people, they are a lot of the people that are getting out now, not staying at home, going to community events, going to restaurants, going to bars. They've got to be careful because when they come back home, they run the risk of infecting other family members. Question for you. When COVID came originally, of course, it uh, affected Washington State, Seattle area, and then it really moved rapidly to the Northeast. Now in this second wave, it's hitting the Southern states. Any thoughts why? No, I really don't. I've asked some of the epidemiologists that, and I've asked some of the infectious disease doctors, and the only real uh, response I've gotten, it's pretty obvious when a lot of people hoped the heat of summer would help drive it down. It hasn't happened. In fact, here we are approaching July, and we've got some of the highest rates of COVID-19 infections throughout most of the southern states, where, as you well know, it's been in the 90s. So I don't know what the common denominator is. As you look in your crystal ball, from what we've been experiencing over just the last three weeks, do you have any predictions what it looks like six weeks from now? You know, I really don't. I've asked that question, and I've gotten a variety of answers. Uh, There's some people uh, that really study this, uh, epidemiologists, and there's some people that think we're going to continue to have a spike, and then people are going to get very responsible and bring it down, and then it's going to spike again, and that's going to continue until we either get one of two things. One, a vaccine. All we have so many people that do eventually get infected that the herd uh, syndrome kind of comes into play. The others I've talked to think it's going to be like a forest fire, that it's just going to go out of control until we get to a point that we really put it out with a vaccine. And then there are others that think it's going to peak a little bit and it's going to go down. But then in flu season around September, October, November, It's really going to come back. So I've really heard three different answers. Something that you keep your eye on every day is the bed capacity in the North Texas area. How are we as far as hospital beds in the DFW area? Well, in the DFW area, when you take the aggregate, 
you know, we've been running pretty consistently 68, 69, or 70% in medical surgical beds. In ICU beds, Thomas, we've been running about 69 or 70%. Now, of the COVID-19 patients, we look at trauma service area E, which covers 19 counties here in the DFW area. Now, I will tell you the predominance of the COVID-19 is in four counties, Dallas, Tarrant, Collin, and Denton. And that represents about 92% of what we're talking about. But with that said, we run about a third of the hospitals that are being treated for COVID-19 in ICU beds. So not everyone is in an ICU bed that has COVID-19. In fact, Some people aren't even hospitalized. So the capacity is there, and we do have surge capacity. But again, people should not take that as, well, everything's going to be okay. I don't really have to worry about it. You do have to worry about it. It's very infectious, and it does spread. The community spread can really ramp up quickly, and that's why we've got to have good personal habits. And by that, I mean personal hygiene, washing our hands for at least 60 seconds, practicing good physical distancing, absolutely wearing a mask, and, you know, use hand sanitizer, clean off contacts. You know, a lot of it is just good common sense. We need to do that if we're going to stop the spread of this virus. Yeah, we've brought that up in several different ways in this show, and the science is there, and it just makes common sense. Now, next week, we're going to talk about another extension of this that is really transforming the healthcare system right under our noses, and that is technology. Yeah, we really are. We're delighted. We're going to have Wenji Mayo here from Texas Health Resources. And it's amazing how she talks about artificial intelligence and technology pre-COVID-19. And then she's going to also fill us in on lessons learned and how we're using that technology during this pandemic. Well, Steve, I know you will have your mask on this week. I will too. And everybody stay safe. And please take Steve's advice and just do it. Just wear the mask. Stay safe. We'll see you next week here on the Human Side of Healthcare on 1080 KRLD. And Radio.com.